0: Hello everyone and welcome back to The Great Woman Artists Podcast. Last week we interviewed the transfixing artist Kiki Smith on all things dreams, myth and desire. And this week we speak to the fantastic Brooklyn-based painter, Mickalene Thomas. But first I am delighted to say that this episode is supported by Ocula. Ocula provides online access to the very best of contemporary art. If you want to follow and learn more about the world's leading galleries and artists, then do visit ocular.com. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Great Women Artists podcast with me, Katie Hessel. Some of you might know me from The Great Women Artists, an Instagram account I set up in October 2015, which celebrates female artists on a daily basis, ranging from young graduates to old masters. Well, in a similar fashion to the Instagram, this podcast is all about celebrating female artists from a variety of backgrounds and histories. And I'm so excited to be interviewing artists on their career or artists, writers, curators, or general art lovers on the woman artist who means most of them. What I want this podcast to do is celebrate female artists in all different capacities. So you, the listener can gain a look into the greatest female artists working now or from art history. I am so excited to say that my guest on the Great Women Artists podcast is one of the most renowned artists working in the world right now. Micheline Thomas. Working across painting, photography, installation, film, collage and more, Thomas for the past two decades has been instrumental in forging an identity for figuration in the 21st century. Positioning her subjects, bold, beautiful women, in often large-scale work that commands (laughs) the same power that of old master painting, Thomas lionizes her subjects, whether they be friends, family members, or lovers, by imbuing them with glittering rhinestone crystals and rich, colorful patterning in atmospheres that are full of freedom and full of liberation. Drawing from pop culture and history, think Grace Jones, the 19th century French painters, and striving to encapsulate the beauty and glamour she witnessed in Jet magazine when growing up, Thomas also restages, reclaims art historical compositions by reworking paintings from the lens of a a black queer woman. In 2013, she said, portraits are very powerful. They have great representation and dominance in the world of trying to capture the essence of someone. And just to prove how powerful this was on her own career, it was after seeing the legendary photographer Carrie Mae Weems' Kitchen Table series of 1990 that Thomas was inspired to pursue art. Switching from law to enrolling in art school at the Pratt Institute, Thomas went on to earn her MFA from Yale and has since worked indefatigably to elevate the presence of black women in art. She has exhibited at the world's most prestigious institutions, and in recent shows has been a force in uplifting the careers of others, such as curating exhibitions alongside her own, featuring younger names, making for a more exciting and inclusive art history that others have followed her in doing. Micheline Thomas, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today?
1: Great. Thank you for
0: that incredible introduction.
1: (laughs) I'm going to have to take you everywhere I go just have that flaring in the background, a microphone or something. As I'm walking, that just comes out.
0: (laughs) Anytime, anytime. So, Michaline, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me.
1: This is great.
0: It is such an honor to speak to you. Whenever I am confronted by your work, I feel dazzled at the joy, dazzled at the beauty, glamour, sophistication, and alluring seduction of your women. Although they are regal, noble, desirable, and powerful, they are also welcoming. And as I mentioned in the introduction, they can sit alongside old master painting and command the same energy through their stances that your women uphold. So I want to start by asking you, what is the power of working with figuration today?
1: Well, that's a good question. It's funny when you said that the work is powerful and approachable, because I've been told in some instances in conversations about my work that the women are aggressive, unapproachable, (laughs) and, and are intimidated. So it's nice to have positive words linked to the bodies of my work because that's what my work is about. It's about celebrating and bringing forth the beauty and empowerment of the women that I see and I've grown up with in my daily life. And I think to answer your question about figurative painting today, there's always this conversation within decades of art about whether figurative painting is going to continue within the discourse of art itself, especially when you have new technology and tools come into creative processes. Figurative painting's not going anywhere. I think as long as there are human beings and we are creating and making art, figurative painting will remain. Figurative painting allows us to create an impression and illusion and form our sense of space that relates to our personal lives. It allows us to see ourselves in images and reflective and validated. And just simply, we like that story, that narrative of seeing ourselves in images. It's a mirror image of ourself, our extension. So the artist is creating a narrative based on their own personal story so as long as we are human beings (laughs) and not extinct we will have figurative paintings because it's a lineage of who we are of of storytelling and before there were words there were pictorial images right which were figurative (laughs) hieroglyphics all of that comes out of seeing yourself right the shape of the moon the sun the water like all of that became these figurative sort of relationships that created language. So it's another tool to articulate a narrative culturally, demographically, ethnically, socially, and politically. And it's much more inclusive of a conversation and discourse today because you have now within the conversation, we are bringing in what was voided out of the conversation historically of those voices that were removed from history. We were always a part of history. We just weren't talked about <laughs> that conversation. It was circled around or just not put in. So figurative painting today, I think it's about inclusivity and that's the power of it.
0: Yeah, it's like this universal language that we can use to connect to anyone no matter what background or time or age or gender or anything. It's like music. Yeah,
1: And I just think that's what art is in general, you know, and whether for me, the absence of figurative self in the image is still present, you know, because as a figurative being that moves through the world, we're connected to things that are tangible and untangible.
0: Yeah. But I'm so fascinated in the sense that, you know, you do draw from these very kind of traditional genres in a way. The nude, you know, this sort of erotic suggestion. Your work really has this place in art history where it follows this lineage. And I'm fascinated when you think about the sort of history of portraiture and what sort of spurred you to incorporate elements of these historical paintings in your work and these traditional genres.
1: Well, because those stories lack the full scope but they are stories of that particular time, so we can't necessarily hold them too accountable because they're writing and talking about their world and what they know. And they're depicting what they think the world should know. <laughs> but there's a lot of exclusion within that language. And so for me, looking at or considering and thinking about old masters, you know, if we think of Manet and Gustave and Cruel Corbet and all of them as old masters and why I look at them is because there's a provocativeness to how they were thinking about the nudes in the body. And it was in relationship to who they were as the white male. And although they did depict women of color, those women of color were sort of excluded from the conversation. And so for me, thinking about nudes, because it goes back to how you see yourself. I think nudes are just a a way of simplifying a form (laughs) and telling a story of desire. Everything goes back to a form of desire. And I think that's what nudes are. It's a form of sexuality of self and what is taboo. (laughs) And so there's notions and language about eroticism within art and the language within that allows you to sort of probe and provoke conversation and i think that's what those old masters were doing because they were depicting and creating portraits And so to paint a nude was sort of like very provocative. You know, Mm. it's just like someone in the nude at that time was just like, wow.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I I kind of love the idea of what you've just said about the sort of desire of a painting, desire of an artwork, and then that being the subject of the desirable object.
1: Yeah, we're desirable. It's a desirable object. And so painting someone clothed all the time becomes like, okay, you know, so when you paint someone unclothed, then you're doing it. It's like you're saints. And there's so much to the form of the body that when you're painting someone clove, you don't see like that nape of the, around the neck or a sort of the nape that goes from the torso to the hip. Like there's so much to the form and shape of things that are just so elegant, beautiful that the imagination of creating something new within that form are exaggerating that it's exciting and you can do that with closer but i think when you do it with the nude there there's something to it that is sort of a symbolism of or signifier of eroticism without being overtly about sexuality
0: mm. I think it was the New York Times who described you as a master of the nude and erotic suggestion. But I love that also because when we go yeah. into these museums and we see these, you know, centuries worth of nudes, like I'm thinking of, you know, Titian's Venus or Botticelli's yeah. Venus or uh-huh. Olympia or something. It is also always from this one specific, you know, white male gaze. I mean, I want to ask you about, you know, you creating these nudes in 2023. You know, what's the freedom that you have in creating images of female nudes?
1: It's empowerment. It's like, as a Black queer woman, how I see women in the world and the beauty of that. Women are gorgeous and our bodies vary in shapes and sizes and that needs to be celebrated and also celebrated intergenerationally. I think in the world where we're living, where so many women change their body for the male gaze, because a lot of the alteration... Of, I believe, is still for the male gaze and sometimes for the women. Like, we want to be homogenous in so many ways that we don't realize that we're starting to all look like each other. And the women who sort of really shape shift their physicality, I think, to me, it's a little complex. And I still have a lot of thoughts of uncertainty around it because I'm trying to understand why you would want to change your body when you are individually come into this world, looking like yourself for a particular reason. (laughs) And there's to me the essence and beauty of that, of difference. So why do you want to look, why do you want your buttocks, your bottom or your breasts to look like someone else? And so for me, that's why I love archival images from like the Jet or old nudes, like the Hue magazine and all of those other sort of printed matter, because it's so much before like plastic surgery. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just the naturalness, the natural beauty of women before they started lifting their breasts up. Like there's something to that softness and elegance and the sort of variant sort of shape of the female body that to me is very elegant and beautiful. I often look at myself in the mirror and I actually have my daughter look at herself in a mirror a lot because I like to sort of, as I'm aging, wanting to love the sort of the process of how my body's changing and the beauty of that. And I've been also conflicted sometimes. I'm like, well, maybe I should do this and do that. And then I think it's like, no, I'm not going to do this or that. I love that there's a little sort of jiggle here or tightness here, yeah. you know what I mean? It's softness here. And I think if you want to do that to your body, do it so you're still looking like yourself. Because I think there's some women who need to have a tuck here and there for various reasons, sometimes health issues and other things. And it's their choice, right? But what I'm talking about is this kind of, artificiality, the reshaping of yourself when you're no longer looking like yourself.
0: But I think it's so interesting that, you know, you are an image maker of nudes today as well and that you have this mindset. Because I think also when we look at our history, we could have had these expectations of what it is to look like a woman.
1: Yeah, exactly. And even then those were false realities. And so for me, that's why when I'm depicting women in my work I don't change them. What I clean up in my photographs is sort of the dust and dirt. If you look closely, you'll look at their skin. Maybe someone had acne issues and they have makeup. Like they're not perfect. Mm. You know what I mean? They're not perfect at all. And I love the imperfection of yeah. the beauty. To me, that is the desire and sort of the elegance that... There's this when you look closely, it's, but then there's this slight imperfection of something.
0: But um, it's not even like imperfection, it's also like reality. Exactly. Like it's, you know, maybe there's
1: days. a stretch mark. You're telling the story with your body, like there's mm. so much to it. Yeah. Like there's my mother, when I photographed her, she has this scar. And I remember asking her, if she wanted me to cover it up or remove it. And she said, no. And I love that. And I love that she liked her flaws. And I think that's where I got it from her. You know, like I have dark circles. I've been all my life. My father has dark circles under his eyes. It's like a genetic thing. And I used to be very sad about that, but it's just part of my face and it's okay (laughs) you know you know what i mean it's like we won't say imperfection but a slight sort of difference and it's like the markings that identify who you are
0: that's what makes us all unique and beautiful yeah and And so
1: capturing and keeping that in nudes from archival images i just love that it's particularly the 70s but nudes are Powerful, and I think right now there's if anything in figurative art that shifted is less nudes. It's the figurative painting more in relationship to photography because it's so much more accessible today. We have it on all our devices. We're oversaturated with images we're oversaturated with how we see ourselves, the selfies and others, right? And how
0: we're meant to see ourselves as well.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. And I think it's amazing also, because I know that you obviously started out embarking on this kind of subject matter with your own mother in 2003 yeah. with this beautiful series called Lounging, Standing, Looking. And also she was a sort of supermodel who was six foot one as well. And so- Yeah. The way that she had. She to- never
1: really got to supermodel status, mm-hmm. but we, she owned her mm-hmm. space as a supermodel. So- Let's well, call cool, yeah, her supermodel. Yeah, yeah supermodel mom.
0: But like i love the fact that someone can give you permission also to do that yeah my
1: mother was very unique in that sense my mother was about action she was like i'm gonna show you and so that's how i learned from her and then when she spoke you knew to listen and you knew what she was (laughs) saying was very important because she was just that kind of person and she was very graceful and, and elegant and she loved herself but not loving herself where it's like Narcissistic. She loved herself where she owned her body. She was proud of it. Even though I know she had some insecurities, she still loved herself. She was proud to be a six foot one woman. She never slouched. And that was one of her things. She would tell me, Don't ever slouch as a tall woman. You know, let people know you're in the room. Like she loved her height. She loved her height so much at six foot one. She would still wear heels because she loved she loved being tall.
0: Yeah, because you're being you know? yourself totally. So,
1: so that was really empowering as a young girl to have a mother who was so statuesque and proud of it, and her friends looked up to her for that. Like she was always the tallest one, and she loved it. And she took she she probably seemed like she was taller than six foot one because the way she carried herself. <laughs>
0: mm. But I think that's what your work straddles so beautifully is that dichotomy yeah. between the statuesque, but also the love and the beauty and the approachability. And I think yeah. also I know that when you first saw Carrie Mae Weems's Kitchen Table series, I think that is what she captures in that series as well. Oh, because
1: Carrie Mae has the same elegance yeah. and brave, empowered sense of self. Like even in her photographs, or the depiction of others in her photographs, that they all have this presence, this sense of who they are, this awareness. And to me, that is that familiarity when I saw, and that's why I saw myself and I saw my mother within that. And that's why it was so recognizable, not because they were sort of these black families but because the essence of who they were and how they were presented resonated so deeply with something that i understood it's a black vernacular it's a black joy like i knew what that was and that to me is those type of symbolisms and art of recognition that oftentimes speak to certain people, but other people can understand based on composition or form. But then there's an element of language in there that speaks very specific to others that's so penetratable that you can't ignore. And I just love learning through Carrie May, and continually because I think she's one of the most phenomenal artists of our time. I truly do. I think when you look at her body of work and how she continues to push up against society, politics, and sort of images of Black women, it's like I'm still learning. and I'm not there yet. <laughs> Even though I'm creating some amazing work, there's an essence to her work. That's like, wow, she did that.
0: <laughs> I mean, I mean but, but I, but I kind of love that your appreciation for that as well, because also it's like not only looking at that lineage of Manet and Botticelli and Corbet, but it's also looking at the lineage of people like Carrie Mae Williams and what she has done for your generation of artists. Our generation yeah. Of artists. Oh,
1: absolutely. Like it's just breathtaking and phenomenal from her installations to her sound pieces to the photographic work, to the performative work, like all of that is, for me, cinematic and photographic. Storytelling to a a level that is so beyond sort of our comprehension on some level. It's very powerful. But I think that's what the power of images are. I think that's what portraiture does, that when it transforms you in that way, that's why photography is so powerful because there's this desire to go back to the more desire and leisure. It's a way of communicating for us to see ourselves, right? We want to see ourselves in images because it allows us to be connected to one another.
0: And to see our history and to see how how it was built and everything, what I find so fascinating about your work is that not only are you sort of elevating, again, this sort of approachable with the regal, that sort of dichotomy, but also it's like the materials that you use as well, like those sort of rhinestones, which was historically sort of seen as craft, and you're elevating it to these like jewel-like like, like I remember last year seeing your work at Black American Portraits at LACMA. It was like seeing a, a paint, like a better painting of like the king or something. And oh yeah, or the something.
1: Byzantine, or like Literally, you know,
0: it was like yeah. what the fuck is this? It yeah. was shining. It was shining yeah. Out yeah the atmosphere yeah. that you create in a work is like dazzling.
1: <laughs> well, I often think of that when you think about light and color, like how they exuded a sense of light. That's what I appreciate about the materials I use, like the rhinestones, because there's the reflective sense of color, but there's also reflective of light. Also, depending on where you're standing and how you're looking or how the light is sort of bouncing off of the image, Mm. that it creates almost like Caravaggio when you think about the lights. So it's very important for me to have this sense of glow or way to exude the spirit. And like church.
0: Yeah, I was gonna (laughs) say it's like a religious experience and actually really speaks to that lineage as well.
1: And I really like that aspect of thinking of the grandeur of that and just how important it is to have those moments of opulence (laughs)
0: But also it's like a sort of alchemical transformation as well, like with even just women as well and elevating them to be in this Uh space of like the divine and also these materials. You know, when I look at your work, it almost does transform in front of me because I'm looking at a woman, yet she's elevated into the space. And again, it's alchemical. It's an experience being Oh,
1: that's very nice. A lot of things that I attempt in a work is just really depicting sort of various ways in which Black people have resided in the world through wealth and sort of prosperity and socially and political, that we've been through all of that. And oftentimes those stories aren't told or are depicted. They are, they're out there, but now they're coming to the surface and we're knowing that narrative. But to see it for a young girl or a boy of color to go in and see that reflected in the self is empowering you know, that they can see themselves in different ways. I know that we too exist and have contributed on those levels. Mm. And I think that's why my work always goes through various motions, moves through these particular time periods, because I like to play with those time periods as a way of... Undulating sort of our conversation of like, we're everywhere, we're doing, we're doing it all as well. <laughs> the high and the low. And how do you bring those together in conversation? Because as I see myself as where I come from and where I'm at and where I'm going, is depicting the high and the low always. That's what jazz is, that's what hip hop is, that's what our music is, that's what the blues was. That's what the process of collage making is.
0: You talk about this idea of collage, and I'm so fascinated by this idea of collage in this day and age, because I think that, I mean, as you very kindly allowed us to include a beautiful work as part of your Jet series and the show that Deborah Roberts and I curated last year on collage. You
1: no, know, that was a great show. I love Deborah Roberts. She's another amazing artist. And I mean, there are so many incredible artists that work within collage, predominantly for me, African-American artists and African artists and artists of color. I think collage has always been a part of sort of our creative practice. Just the way in which we've had to live our lives and sort of how we've had to weave together our stories and oral history and how we traverse and move throughout the world. The things that we carried with us from enslavement to the great migration to (laughs) civil rights, like what we hold truth to our history on our heritage, like whether it's an object and that goes from generation to generation. And we sort of through those objectivities and tell the story and we've together with quilt making and all of that, like we've had to collage and code switch through that collage our histories. So it comes natural to us as people that dominate (laughs) sort of the storytelling through collage. It's how I see my world and make sense of it by pulling together all of these various conversations and images. How I like to use my mode of construct or mode of constructism within collage is through the various genres of painting how you can sort of collage those different elements and meanings of painting processes and one painting, but then bringing my cultural and personal element within that. It's like sound with jazz, jazz is collage. It's this incredible way of juxtaposing and sort of justifying means to an end.
0: Yeah. And I love this idea of the kind of essence of collage as well or collage being an essence in the sense that works also straddle a playfulness but also an intense seriousness as well. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, And for me, it's a way for me to also focus and make sense of things and it's a way of drawing and seeing the world. Like I can collect all of this information and then I can put it together and it's like then makes sense but separately for me they don't and using a collage almost as an instrument that becomes like a compass or ruler of sort of direction
0: Yeah, again, it's like taking that form, like the body or something and breaking it up and switching it up. Like, I think that's what I think is so interesting, especially with your work in this day and age, You know, we're almost completely reframing the gaze. We're in this like incredible time in the world right now where everything is fluctuating, everything is changing. The world is never gonna be the same again. Yeah. Yeah, it's
1: progressing. And I think in some ways it's progressing at a speed that we don't necessarily understand. And so I'm on that ride i like speed (laughs) i like fast cars i like motorcycles but i'm also say okay this is what we're going like how do i use it as a way of conversation within my own work
0: and what do you hope for people to learn from your work
1: that's a really good question what i hope that people take from it is that they're empowered and inspired and transformed And they feel celebrated and they feel a sense of joy and elation and validation from it. And that they see an element of who they are. And even if they don't understand it, that they're like, hands up, yeah, yeah, go girl. (laughs) I don't know what I want someone to learn from it. I just know what I want them to feel. It's something here in that core when they're standing in front of it, almost like, something religious that's unspoken or undescribable or mystical and it's on a different level it emotes a physical sense within yourself that creates a spark
0: yeah the viscerality of art yeah Alpha. yeah
1: yeah and if it's only one person that feels that learn from it then i feel like i've done all that i could do because I'm always giving the gift of it. And I'm always putting 100% of my imagination, my creativity, my hard work. And it may not make sense to everyone at a given point, time and space. It may not make sense to anyone right now. And maybe one day they will understand and they'll connect to it. Or maybe they never will and that's okay because not everything is for everyone and nor do I make it for everyone. I make it for that very special person that stands in front of work and they go, oh, thank you.
0: Well, thank you so much for your yeah. work and your words. This has been an incredible conversation and yeah. I've learned so much from your work yeah. and I can't wait to take away more and learn more and feel more. But as does the Great Women Artists Podcast, we do always ask our guests if there was a woman artist from now or from history you'd most like to meet. Who would it be and what would you say? Oh,
1: well, I would have loved to have met Cleopatra. (laughs) Wow, to be in front of her. But one person that's alive today that I would love to sit and have a conversation with and break bread with and have tea with and sit with her and talk is Faith Ringgold.
0: Have you never met her? I've met
1: her and I've seen her, but... I've never had the opportunity, and maybe I should just reach out. I've never really had the opportunity to just like sit with her and gaze and laugh. And she has such an infectious voice and smile. And sometimes I look at her videos just so I can hear it. What she provides for me is the ingenuity of self never to give up to keep making the work, to never stop. There's particular women who are creating and making art today that have paved the way for artists like myself, and they're still doing it. (laughs) When I think of her work and what she's contributed, it's very powerful. And she's of a particular generation of artists that have always been a part of the discourse of conversation, but now are fully being acknowledged of their contribution. And I think a little more of that needs to happen. And I'm just happy that I'm able as an artist to see her art in spaces.
0: Amazing. Micheline Thomas, thank you so much for coming on thank the you. podcast today. Thank
1: you so much, Katie. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing the book.
0: Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the Great Women Artists Podcast with the fantastic Nicoline Thomas. I am just in awe of everything that she says about figurative painting, painting women and desire and the state of painting today. This episode was sound edited by the brilliant Michaela Carmichael. And if you have been enjoying these episodes so far, please rate, review and subscribe as it helps others find us. And of course, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Great an Artists Podcast with me, Katie Hessel.